Happy Monday. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Halloween. Happy Fourth of July. Happy holidays. Happy to meet you. Happy to see you. Happy to have you. I'm so happy you're here. Happy people. A happy camper. The happy couple. Happy wife. Happy life. Happy as a clam. Happy as the day is long. Happy as a dog with two tails. Slap happy. Trigger happy. A happy medium. Happy hour. Happy trails. Happy New Year. Happy days are here again. Happy together. Put on a happy face. Don't worry. Be happy. Whatever makes you happy. I hope you're happy. There. Are you happy now? Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life. I'm Patrick Conley. Happy to welcome you to the show. There are so many ways we use the term happy in day-to-day life. And you can start to wonder, does the word still have meaning? What does it actually mean to be happy? Why does happiness sometimes seem so simple and at other times so elusive? What does God actually say about your happiness? And has he done anything to help bring it about? We're taking on these questions and more as today we begin our three-part series on The Search for Happiness, a blueprint from the Beatitudes. Before we get rolling, though, I haven't forgotten that it's another Monday pun day here on The Inner Life. So, sticking with the theme of happiness, I've got this little gem for you. Do you know why tennis players can't ever find happiness? Because love means nothing to them. Love and happiness may just indeed have something to do with one another, just as Jesus himself has revealed to us. So, without further ado, let's get going on our look at the Beatitudes in Search of Happiness. Guiding us along all three days in unpacking all eight Beatitudes is our spiritual director, Father Matthew Spencer. Father Spencer is a priest of the Oblates of St. Joseph, and he currently serves as Provincial Superior and Shrine Director for the Oblates of St. Joseph out of Santa Cruz, California. Welcome, Father. I'm so excited to be doing this series with you. Oh, so am I, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me. It's going to be a really good uh, discussion, really good uh, questions, I'm sure, will come up along the way. And, uh, well, maybe we should start with the Beatitudes. And just, it's they're located, of course, right there at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But maybe you can give us a little just background on the Sermon on the Mount. What's going on on this uh, in this wonderful and important sermon? Yeah, so the Sermon on the Mount is probably, probably the most well-known collection of teachings on the moral life from Jesus. I mean... It's uh, where we find the Our Father, which, you know, the world knows, basically. It's where we find the Beatitudes, of course, and many other of the really important teachings of, of Jesus. Um, but it comes right after Jesus's baptism in the Jordan and also his, his time of, of uh, preparation in the wilderness, his 40 days of fasting and the tempta- temptations that he experienced from the evil one. And right at the end of chapter four in Luke's, I'm sorry, in Matthew's gospel, we hear that that Jesus is, begins to preach in the synagogues to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, and his fame just skyrockets. So right after he he begins his preparation for ministry, 
Matthew kind of sums up Jesus's rise to popularity in those last few verses of of, uh, chapter 4 of Matthew's gospel. So by the time we get to the Sermon on the Mount, which takes place on the, what we call now, the Mount of Beatitudes, um, Jesus already has a lot of followers. He already has a lot of people who are pining to hear his words. He has a lot of, the crowds, as Matthew says, are surrounding him. And so he has to go on this Mount in order to be seen and for his voice to reach all of these people. And um, and I think that's important, Patrick. I mean, to realize that he's giving this this very important discourse not only to his inner circle, but he's now sharing with all the world in the these crowds around him. He's sharing with all the world the plan that God the Father has for for you and for me, and the preparation of salvation that he's come for. So that's kind of the context of the of the beatitudes that we receive. Yeah, and he really kicks it off with those Beatitudes, too. And the Beatitudes, now, it, it might not necessarily strike somebody at the outset, the connection between Beatitudes and happiness, but uh, maybe you can outline that a little. What is the connection between Beatitude and happiness, and what really constitutes the Christian vision of happiness? Yes, so the the word Beatitude comes from the Latin beati sunt, which is the which means blessed are, right? Blessed are they who, blessed are those who. So the, the word beatitude really comes from the words of Jesus himself. And I, I think you're right, Patrick. It's really important that the beatitudes are the first teaching of the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that should really underscore for us how important they are. And in fact, all of the fathers of the church and all of our Christian tradition has always seen in the Beatitudes a, a summation of all of Jesus's teaching. Right? It's it's a completion of the Ten Commandments, and it's a it's a whole summary of how Jesus is calling us to live. And so, I think you rightly point out, Patrick, that this is how important the Beatitudes are. This is how essential they are for the Christian life. Um, and so that's that's very important. And that word beati, I'm sorry, beatitude, coming from the words beati sunt, uh, can be translated and considered in English in a variety of ways. As you as you very eloquently and poetically and and humorously, I like that intro <laughs> of all those <laughs> phrases yeah. of happy. Oh um, uh, of course, we can translate the 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 phrase beati sunt as happy are. It can also be translated as blessed are. And maybe that's a really important thing to clarify, Patrick, because mm-hmm. boy, just listening to those phrases you shared, happiness and the word happy can mean a whole bunch of different things to us today. Right, exactly. And that's, I, yeah, and you know, that was just a small, uh, small cross section of the, everything that I found as I was just reminding <laughs> myself of all these different ways we use the word happy. Well, welcome to our listeners who are listening to our first part in a three-part series on the search for happiness, a blueprint from the Beatitudes with our special spiritual director, Father Matthew Spencer. And we're talking about now the location of the, the Beatitudes and particularly, again, the Christian vision of happiness. And what how does that inform that? So, uh, Father, back to you then uh, for this kind of an expansion on this Christian vision of happiness that may differ widely from some of the ways that we view happiness typically in our society. Uh, yeah, I mean, all of us want to be happy, right? I mean, it's it's built into to our nature. It's part of our DNA. We're trying to find 
happiness and fulfillment. But what that actually is, I mean, we're so confused about because we think, well, if I just have the right technology in my life, then I'll be happy. If I just have the right resources economically in my life, I'll, I'll be happy. Or even if I just have the right health, then I'll finally be at peace and find joy and happiness and in life. And while these things are, are all good, right? I mean, thanks be to God for technology, for economic resources and, and blessings, sure. and also right. certainly thanks, thanks be to God for our health. Uh, these these aren't necessarily uh, what make us happy. I mean, we, we all of us know people who probably are, are relatively wealthy, who have a lot of things, maybe even who have their health, and who are very unhappy people, right? Mm -hmm. So happiness right. and these material goods are, are not necessarily, cannot necessarily be equated. And I think that's, um, it's very interesting to me, Patrick, that, that Jesus will begin his, his public teaching with this principle, this idea in mind, happiness and blessedness. Because I think it shows that he's connecting with us on common ground before he can tell us, well, uh, here are the really hard teachings uh, that I'm going to give to you. For example, you must forgive your enemies. You must love those who persecute you. Before he, before he starts getting to really challenging things for us, he begins with this common ground of happiness. And we intuitively understand that. Well, I want to be happy, so I want to hang on to what Jesus has to say. Uh, and happiness, I really think, Patrick, is found when we're really living the life that God has has in store for us and sometimes that's a surprising turn of events i mean for me to become a priest was not what i was expecting when when i was a child when i was a teenager but to discover that vocation brought incredible happiness ultimately even though it did take some grappling and some struggle so happiness is becoming the people that god wants us to be and living the lives that god wants us to be and and in and sometimes, paradoxically, it's not what we expect. It's not always having the things that we want, uh, possessing the, the, those things that we wish to have. Uh, it's, it's about living, the life, living a life that is in accord with God's will. Mm. Well, I think we've got a phone call coming in that might, uh, might tie in right with that right now. So let's go to the phones. We've got Susan calling in from Oswego, Illinois. Susan, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. Um, Father, question for you. Um, weird thing happened to me on Sunday, actually not that weird, but I, I went to a coffee shop after I'd had mass and a woman approached me, obviously a Protestant trying to convert me. And I cut her off pretty much right away and nicely and told her that I had no intentions of ever leaving the Catholic faith. And, and she said, well, can I sit down and tell you my story? And I said, sure, go ahead. And she said, well, I am Catholic. I was Catholic and I grew up in Chicago and I, I had one question and no one could answer it for me. And I said, well, what was your question? She goes, I went to all kinds of priests and asked them, how do I get to heaven? And she goes, so can I ask you, how do you get to heaven? And I am more simplistic. I would say that when God says, um, have, you know, be childlike, that would probably describe me. I, I pretty much go on faith and the way I was raised and what I believe. And I kind of told her that I believe it's actually my own choice on what I choose to do and if I choose to accept God. But then it got me thinking when I got home, I thought, well, let me look up and see what the catechism in the Bible says. And then, you know, I saw where it laid out four points. You must be baptized. You must receive the Eucharist. You must have faith. And then it said, and do God's will. So that's a question that came to my mind. Are the Beatitudes 
God's will, or is God's will bigger than that? Oh, very good question, Susan. And I think that I would say the Beatitudes uh, sum up God's will for us. Um, but uh, here's the problem with somebody kind of trying to uh, trying to catch you with that question <laughs> about, well, uh, how will you be saved? Uh, Jesus took three years to explain that to us, right? Not, not to mention showing us by his passion, death, and resurrection uh, how salvation was going to come about. And, and to, to reduce it to some simplistic formula or to some simplistic uh, solution that this person was asking for, I think, is, is not doing justice to the gospel. Now, we can say, well, uh, I'm going to be saved by doing what Jesus tells me. I mean, that's, what I would, that's what, how I would summarize it. <laughs> but what does Jesus tell me? He tells me all kinds of things in Scripture, right? He tells, gives us the Beatitudes, which we're going to unpack today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. Uh, but he also gives us many other teachings. He gives us the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion, and he gives us so many resources in our path to salvation. So, yeah, Susan, I think it's it's okay to to summarize it and respond the way you did. I, I would just say that, um, you know, when we engage in a conversation like that, we have to realize that um, there, are, there aren't quick answers. And I think sometimes people are trying to catch us in a, you know, a little confusing a question i would just say well I'm, the way i'm going to find salvation is doing exactly what jesus said and and following the church that he founded and that unpacks uh, opens up a whole new conversation to have I hope. <laughs> it certainly does thank you susan for the call and good question and uh, as we are on a search for happiness here and getting our blueprint from the beatitudes with our spiritual director father matthew spencer osj and we are so grateful that you are with us father and one thing kind of jumping off of Susan's question, too, I suppose, that we can understand that heaven is actually a place where or a, a state of being where we are in full happiness. Uh, please, God, if we get there and that sort of thing. But would you say that happiness is possible in this world, Father? I would say we can begin to experience happiness in this world, you know. I mean, we talked about the etymology of the the word beatitude coming from the Latin beati sunt, uh, but really what the word means now in English is supreme blessedness, right? If you okay. if you look it up in in a in a in a I'm sorry in a dictionary, the word has has this understanding that it means to be supremely blessed or supremely happy, and yeah, we believe as Christians that we can even begin to experience great happiness here on earth. The problem is, is that we'll, it will still be mixed in with human weakness. It will still be uh, accompanied by sin and brokenness and evil. So it's a happiness that is not yet complete. It's a happiness that has not yet been fully realized. Heaven is the, the completion of, of the, this foretaste of that happiness that we experience here on earth. Mm -hmm. But yeah, absolutely, Patrick, I would say we should always strive to, to live lives that are, are even happier, even more blessed than, than we could imagine here on earth. And God will, in fact, grant, grant us great happiness and great blessedness here on earth. But we, we will have to wait until heaven to experience it in its fullness. Mm, very good. All right. Well, good, good kickoff here to our series, our three-day series here on the inner life of the search for happiness, a blueprint from the Beatitudes with our spiritual director, Father Matthew Spencer. 
Coming up next after the short break, we're going to jump into Beatitude number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to unpack that. What does it mean and how can how you can live it out in your everyday life? So stay with us. You can support Relevant Radio in many ways. Joining a giving society, donating a vehicle you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. Donate now at RelevantRadio.com slash property. Life here on Relevant Radio on RelevantRadio.com and the Relevant Radio app. My name is Patrick Conley. We're together with our spiritual director, Father Matthew Spencer, in the first of our three-day series on the search for happiness, a blueprint from the Beatitudes. And Father, just before we get into that first Beatitude, just uh, taking us into the scriptures, of course, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. What's going on with that sitting down? father yeah it's kind of curious isn't it because here he goes up onto the mountain uh presumably in order to be seen better in order to be have a better projection of his voice Uh, also of course because he's he's uh he's uh completing what moses did by climbing the mountain so there's this really important you know (laughs) backdrop of the old testament jesus is the new moses and so he's going up the mountain with this encounter with the Lord. Um, so we can't forget that. It's not just practical purposes that Jesus is preaching from the Mount. But you're right, then after that, he sits down uh, in, in, and there's a variety of reasons for this. You know, in sitting, this is the position of a teacher, and this is a position of one who has authority. So he's sitting. Uh, in order to to also claim his authority, you know, Jesus himself will will refer to this position when he speaks to the Pharisees. I'm sorry, to the people about the Pharisees, and he says, "Well, they're sitting on the throne of Moses, so do whatever they tell you. Just don't imitate their example." And mm-hmm. so they they sit on the seat of Moses with some authority, uh, because sitting represents that authority. And you know, this this posture actually. Uh, continues to this day, Patrick. Um, the word cathedral, which we're all familiar with as you know, large churches and pr- principal churches in our diocese. Right. Yeah. Uh, each cathedral has what's called a cathedra in it, and that word means a seat. It's it's uh, the bishop's seat where the bishop presides at mass and where he will give teaching officially from. And so the word cathedral comes from that that particular seat of authority that a bishop has. And, um, and so to this day, we see that sitting has this really important symbolic uh, posture of representing authority and teaching. And that's exactly what's happening at the beginning of chapter five. In yeah, I love it. I've, I've shared that kind of teaching with my elementary and middle school religion students, Father, that this mm. is how Jesus did it. And so maybe I should sit and the rest of them should stand and they're just not buying it. So I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I, yeah. Anyway, well, thank you for that explanation, Father. Appreciate that. So, so then Jesus begins to teach them, teach the crowds and his disciples, and he begins with this first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, Father, a little, uh, little introduction to this from you. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? You know, I think, Patrick, even before we get there, we have to acknowledge 
there's a paradox here, right? Actually, all of the all of the beatitudes are are rather challenging to listen to. I mean, mm. blessed are those who mourn. I mean, that we hear that yeah. and we think, how is that in any way related to happiness that we will mourn? And every beatitude is going to is going to begin to uh, help us reflect on the paradox of the gospel that the way we find happiness is not how we expect. And I think we have to be prepared for that nice. in life, right? To realize that if I'm going to be find this supreme blessedness and if I'm going to find happiness, it's going to come about in a way that I, I least expect. And I think this is a good, a good example to start. So blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, actually, St. Luke, in his presentation of the Beatitudes, puts it in a even uh, kind of more straight way. Blessed are the poor, right? right. Um, in here, what, what I think ultimately what's important to realize is Jesus is not talking about destitution. He's not talking about uh, the, the terrible affliction of, of a lack of necessary resources that, that some people will experience. Um, he's talking about total detachment, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It, it, it's so easy for us, Patrick, to become attached to material things, to become attached to possessions, to the point that we, we, we become convinced that those are the source of our happiness, that somehow it's the, the home that I live in, it's the property that I own, it's the inheritance that I'm going to receive, that that somehow will give me happiness. And Jesus is saying that is not at all the case. Right? You will not find happiness if you are attached to these material possessions, if you are attached to these physical things. Uh, quite the contrary, actually. I mean, we know that if we're attached to these types of things, uh, it will lead to great unhappiness in our life. Why? Because those things will be gone in an instant. And those things can never fill up the void that's in our hearts that only the only the spirit can fill mm -hmm. and so jesus calls us to a, a radical detachment i mean to be blessed uh, or to be poor in spirit means to to not put my trust in possessions and to not become attached to to the things that i have here on earth and as hard as that is that's a really important first step to finding happiness in this world to realizing what won't give me happiness, what won't give me happiness are all those possessions, all those things, all the stuff that I think will give me happiness, but instead to find happiness in, in detachment from these things. Our spiritual director, Father Matthew Spencer, priest of the Oblates of St. Joseph, currently the Provincial Superior and Shrine Director for the Oblates out of Santa Cruz, California. We are talking about uh, Blessed Are the Poor in Spirit, that first beatitude in our three-day series on the Beatitudes with Father Spencer. If you, uh, if you have a time when you knew yourself to be poor in spirit, when you uh, experienced that, perhaps there's a particular situation that arose in your life. Well, how did you know? How did you know you were being poor in spirit at that point? And then, of course, how were you blessed? Were you blessed as an, in practicing that poverty of spirit that Father Matthew is talking to us about? Give us a call. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Or maybe you have a question about... Further, what does this beatitude mean to be poor in spirit? 888-914-9149 is our phone number here on the Inner Life. You can also send us an email, of course, innerlife at relevantradio.com. 
Father, one of the things that uh, in reflecting on this beatitude and specifically uh, as thinking about it in terms of what it means to be poor in spirit, I think one of the things that comes to my mind frequently is that those who are rich, whether it be in worldly goods or in other things as well, um, if they understand themselves to be rich, then they tend to move in the direction of kind of self-sufficiency, that there's not an understanding of dependence as well. Would you say that that's perhaps a danger of um, of attachment as well when we're too attached to material things, when we're too attached to maybe relationships, when we're too attached to whatever it may be, that we kind of push God's providence out of our life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we heard in yesterday's gospel, right, when Jesus is... Uh, Jesus is sending uh, his disciples or telling them about the proclamation of the kingdom they're going to be involved in. He tells them not to be afraid, and he, he tells them that the Father has counted all of the hairs on their head. The Father is so invested in, in their well-being and them being, and he's going to provide for them. And I think this is, um, this is a temptation that we all have to not have the Father provide for us to not wait for the Father to give what we need because, well, I'd rather provide it for myself on my own terms. I'd rather it come about in the way that I want. <laughs> I'd rather that I don't have to have some anxiety about whether, in fact, God the Father will come through for me in this situation. Right. And yeah, I think it's, it's, a, real, it's a real risk to, to material abundance is that we begin to feel that we have accomplish that ourselves right that 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 our our blessedness our our wealth the things that we have are from our own making from my own hard work or from my own prosperity that that i've discovered and found um and while certainly we're called to work hard and certainly we're called to to work uh, do our best to 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 you know increase um um, God's blessings among us, we also have to realize that every good thing that we have, everything that we have comes from the Lord. And if we're not careful, our attachment to material things can, uh, can eclipse that reality, right? We forget that actually everything I have is a gift from God, and I, I shouldn't presume that it will always be there. So yeah, I, I think it's a good observation, Patrick, that part of being poor in spirit is the realization that I am dependent on God and everything that I have is a gift from him, even though it might seem like I, I made it possible myself, I have to realize that the, the abilities that I used to get to that point were from God himself. Right. And one of the things, though, too, that comes up, and this relates back to our first caller, Susan, who was calling in as do the Beatitudes reveal the will of God for us. I'm looking back, uh, of course, you were talking about uh, yesterday's gospel lesson, but if you look back further there in Matthew chapter 10, which is where our gospel has been coming from, our Sunday gospels have been coming from for a while, you know, Jesus, as he's sending out his disciples to do this ministry, he tells them, do not take gold or silver or copper for your belts, no sack for the journey or a second tunic or sandals or a walking stick. So, in a sense, I guess what my question is for you, Father, is um, when it comes to being poor in spirit, is do you think it's a, a necessity for us, or at least a necessity for us to, to consider how might we actually uh, rid ourselves of these temptations toward reliance upon these things? I mean, do we need to be placing ourselves in situations of need? 
yeah, I, 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 you know, there's this uh, movement in our times, uh, Patrick, that I see at least at some at some level in some people's lives, a movement towards simplicity. You know, you look at say the tiny house movement yeah, and people right, who yeah. are living yep. kind of simpler lives, and I really, I'm really impressed by by that. Even if it's done for secular purposes, I think it's trying to get to that, to to exactly what you're saying. That if I if I simplify my life, then I can discover more freedom, right? If I if I if I don't possess as much as I think I need, and if I can rely on less than I expect, then there is a freedom in that. I mean, there's there's a, a realization that wow, I can I can find happiness and joy apart from from physical things. And I'm not saying that everybody should just live on the street without any basic you know necessities that that they have no we have to be prudent and reasonable right and and we need to provide for ourselves not to mention our spouses and our children mm-hmm. but there is really something to be said for challenging ourselves when it comes to simplicity and saying you know i don't really need to have the newest phone i don't really need to have the newest computer i don't need to have the biggest newest car i don't need to upgrade my life and always spend uh, things on material possessions. Uh, and at first we feel that we're, we're lacking because of that. At first we feel maybe a particular uh, privation sure, in that yeah. process. But ultimately we realize that there's a freedom that's found in not needing those things. Mm, very good. Well, let's uh, take a phone call, I think, that's related to this particular beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, let's go to Eric calling in from Hermitage, Pennsylvania. Eric, thank you for calling in. Well, thank you for speaking with me. And this is so interesting um, because I had the hardest time to really understand this beatitude. And I remember talking to a pastor of mine probably, oh, maybe more than a dozen years ago. And what he told me was, was pretty simplistic. He says, I mean, do you need to have uh, five pair of shoes when one or two would be fine and things like that? So that kind of stuck with me. But then later on, and, and I'm near, well, I've been retired for two years now, and I can't even tell you why, but it was a September day, and I just picked my rosary up, and I started saying it every day. And as I got more and more into, you know, doing what Our Lady asked at Fatima, it just seemed like things melted away. When I was younger, I was such a sports fan, and I had to have NFL stuff, and I had to have baseball. Whatever season was in, I was so occupied with that. And I had collectibles and I had all these things. And then all of a sudden, as I got more and more into this rosary, it, those things didn't mean anything to me anymore. And it just, and I was able to just get rid of those things and not, not in a hateful way, but they didn't mean anything. And it just, my life has been so much better not having to worry about getting the greatest phone and not having to worry about getting uh, the greatest car and all that stuff. And I'm so much more happier and I understand this beatitude a little bit more. I'm, I'm normally, I took a little part-time job, and I'm normally there right now, but they said if you wanted to go home today, they weren't busy. So I'm, I got in the car just when you were starting to talk about this, and I'm so glad and so happy because it ties in exactly with where I'm at in my life. And thank you. Well, thank you, Eric. I, I appreciate your your insight, and I, and I want to I wanna add to what you said because I, I totally agree with you when we when we start putting into our hearts the good things from the Lord, like a relationship with Our Lady, like a deep prayer life, when we start 
having those things in our life, it begins to crowd out these other superfluous things, right? I mean, we, we, we worry about all these things that really don't matter, but they, they're taking up space in our minds and space in our hearts. Why? Because, well, we haven't yet filled it with things of God. And, and I think your point about praying the rosary, which leads to more detachment from these worldly things, is important because a lot of times we imagine that the process of embracing the gospel is all about self-denial. And, well, it's going to hurt to get rid of my new phone. It's going to hurt to live a simpler life. I'm going to suffer in the process of, of detaching from these things and loving God more. And there is, don't get me wrong, there is, of course, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow the Lord, right? Jesus tells this to us. There is, there will be always some suffering and self-denial and, and some practice of, of discipline in that area. But it can be a lot easier when we, when we fill up those spaces before we suffer too much from them being gone. So instead of just giving up, you know, say sports on Sunday or, or whatever, whatever might be taking our attention away from the Lord, instead of just imagining that now I have to cut this out and I'm going to be empty during those moments, I, I need to fill it up with something good. So I start praying the rosary, for example, here on Relevant Radio, right, with the mm. family rosary across America. We, we start filling up our lives with good things, and that, that makes it easier to live out the Beatitudes. Yeah. Eric, thank you for the call and for the testimony, and I think that that's something that will help encourage and inspire others, too, to know that you have, you've consciously made some of these decisions and seen how you've been blessed because of it. So thank you, Eric. Thank you for calling in and, and sharing that. And Father, uh, just to kind of wrap up this first beatitude, I wanted to get to this. I mean, you've talked about the move towards simplicity and how our, our detachment from some of these material things can bring about that happiness for which we all long. And specifically I'm in that second half of the beatitude for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Can you just take a minute or so to, I mean, what are we talking about here? What does that actually mean to say the kingdom of heaven is theirs? Yeah. You know, I've been rereading, um, Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth, right. Mm, um, nice, his, yeah. uh, written, um, under, under his published normally under his, uh, his pre pontiff name, <laughs> Cardinal Ratzinger. Right. He, um, you know, he talks about the kingdom of God as being Jesus himself, right? So Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself in, in his person is the coming, the fulfillment of, of all that we long for. And really, the Beatitudes are making this important distinction between the world and the kingdom of heaven, between creation, which, which has some good things in it, but has also fallen and can be a distraction for us, versus the Jesus himself, the kingdom of heaven, in which we find the fullness of God's plan for us. And it, it is really important to keep in mind the second part of that beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, even if we become detached from material created things and we suffer because of it, what we are gaining as a result is a relationship with Jesus himself, which is I mean, incalculable in its value, right? I mean, right. beyond belief, what we gain when we have this detachment from, from the world and from uh, our, our earthly possessions. So 
it, there's there's just no comparison, Patrick, right, in what we get out of it. We shouldn't even be pausing to think, oh well, is this a good deal? Should I maybe maybe I should hold on to my my right. stuff for a little while longer? It's just yeah. if we realize what we would get by by becoming detached and and giving everything to the Lord, then we would have this deeper relationship with Jesus, which will be so much more satisfying. Yeah. Yep. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul, right? So our spiritual director, Father Matthew Spencer, is leading us through a three-day journey through the Beatitudes in search of true happiness, the happiness that God has come to give us. If you have a time when you have been poor in spirit and have received the blessings from the Lord, or as we turn now to mourning, have you had a time where you have experienced the consolations of God as a part of your morning. We'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or give us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We're going to take another short break, but we'll be back with Blessed Are Those Who Mourn right after this. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. If you're on Relevant Radio, my name is Patrick Conley, and my thanks to Nick Sentovich, who's producing our show today, and Sarah Tafoya, taking your phone calls, and to our spiritual director, Father Matthew Spencer, who's kicking us off well on this three-day series that we're doing today, tomorrow, and Wednesday on the search for happiness, a blueprint from the Beatitudes. So we are grateful for his wisdom and insight that he is sharing with us. Father Spencer is an oblate of St. Joseph, and he currently serves as the Provincial Superior and Shrine Director for the Oblates of St. Joseph out of Santa Cruz, California. Before we get into mourning, Father, and maybe this might actually just lead us into Blessed Are Those Who Mourn, let's take a phone call from Tom calling in from Grand Terrace, California. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. Um, Father Matthew Spencer, I have a question for you. Um, Would you say that it would be true that truly to understand the concept of happiness, that we'd first have to truly, I don't know, we have to truly experience it to to the lowest depth, but we have to understand suffering. And without suffering, we can't truly have the kind of lens to see through the human condition. I know it was St. Augustine that spoke about the human condition. Uh, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who mourn. So you have poverty, adversity, and sorrow. This is what the human condition and suffering is universal. So would you, would you say that suffering is something we have to kind of really encounter in life to truly comprehend that concept of happiness? Um, I, it's a it's a very good very good question. I, I wouldn't say that it's it's essential in in the sense that from the beginning God didn't um, didn't intend for for us to suffer. Right, suffering came about as a result of sin, and it it would have been happy. It would have been possible to experience uh, great happiness, supreme happiness, even without suffering. Uh, I would say though that. God can use suffering to help us to to understand what true happiness is all about. Just as God can can use uh, 
you know, loss in our life, a loss of material possessions or loss of things, loss of even friends and loved ones to make us appreciate what those things are worth or, or their value and role in our life. Uh, in the same way, I think God can turn everything, even, even an evil like suffering into, into uh, an opportunity for growth and into a blessing for us. So suffering itself is, um, I mean, it, it's, it's an evil, right? It's not, it's not a, in and of itself a, a good thing that God intends by his, uh, by his volitional will. But, but in his permissive will, he, he does allow it because we can gain a better understanding of happiness and we can gain a better appreciation of, of being blessed. Thank you. Very good question. Yeah. yeah, good question, Tom. Thank you for the call. And I think that that question will actually probably pervade much of our discussion of, of mm. well, many, many of the Beatitudes yet to come, but specifically this next one, Father, and I want to make sure that we uh, give it its due when it comes to time allotted anyway. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. All right, so take us into this one, Father. Um, what are we talking about? I think we are familiar with the concept of mourning, but is there any particular thing that Christ is pointing out here when we talk about blessed are they who mourn? Yeah, I, I think it's important to clarify because St. Augustine would would talk about this beatitude and he would say that um, not every type, Jesus isn't talking about every type of sorrow. <laughs> He's not saying, oh, it's good if you feel pain. Right? It's good, okay, good. If, yeah. you, if you just go through sorrow, then you're going to be comforted later. Because there are some types of sorrow that, that are not good, right? Despair is not good for us. And despair as being a result of, of grave sorrow can have certainly terrible, tragic consequences in our life. Um, uh, there are there are types of sorrow like su- self pity, for example, that becomes really an unhealthy for us. So what does what does Jesus mean when he says, "Blessed are those who mourn"? Um, we would really talk about it as this experience of of discontentment that there's a there's there's a lack of alignment between my desires and and reality. So, mm-hmm. for example, when my loved ones are going through suffering and, and I'm experiencing grief and sorrow. I'm experiencing a, a disconnect right, of what I want for them versus what they're experiencing. And that creates within me this sorrow, which, which then I mourn over. Uh, I think the, the most important type of mourning that Jesus is referring to, though, which I think St. Saint Ta- Augustine would, would also arrive at, is that uh, we're, we're especially blessed when we mourn our sins, when we mourn the disconnect between what we're supposed to be doing uh, and what we actually are doing. So God calls us to a certain way of life. We fall short of that because of our sin. And when we mourn that, when we grieve over that, that leads to repentance. It leads to comforting from the Lord and ultimately forgiveness and mercy on his part. Um, so this... this um, Beatitude, I wouldn't disconnect it or divorce it immediately from just the grief that we experience in human and natural situations. There is great comfort that will come even when we experience mourning at, at the suffering in life. Mm-hmm. But from a spiritual perspective, this beatitude, it also very importantly relates to, to the mourning that we must go through over our own uh, Un, uh, uh, unworthiness to be with the Lord on, on, over our own sins that we've committed and under the disconnect that's there between us and what God desires for us. And, and gratefully, you know, Jesus promises us that 
if we are mourning over that, if we are grieving that disconnect, that uh, we will be comforted. He will forgive us. We, we, it will lead to reconciliation. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I definitely want to get more into that. But let's go back to the phones. And Judy is calling in from Port Orange, Florida on this topic. So, Judy, thank you for calling into the inner life. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. But I'm a little stuck on the morning, on the morning thing. You know, I'm a visiting nurse. And, you know, two years ago, I lost my dog and my best friend, you know, 30, within 30 days of each other. And when I visit patients, you know, I often go by the doggy beach, the doggy park, my friend's street. And I'm, and it's going to be three years soon, and, and I'm mourning stuck. Yeah, this is, um, I'm sorry, Judy, for that, that pain and suffering. And I, I'm really... Uh, I, I feel for you because it's real, right? That morning that we go through, that grief that's there. Um, I think what the Christian life invites us to is this hope beyond hope. And it's hard because we have to begin intellectually with that. It's not an emotion we feel. So we're in the midst of our grief. We're in the midst of our sorrow. Maybe it's been even years and we're, we're, we're feeling, you know, burdened by the these great losses and sorrows and to get through that i think what we what we have to do is first acknowledge intellectually what jesus teaches us that there is new life that god is merciful right that your friend uh, is in the merciful hands of god um we hold on to that hope uh making sure that we're we're not living only in what we've lost but what god can do from that loss and then and then turning those those griefs and sorrows over to the lord so i didn't i didn't mean to um imply that this that this beatitude wouldn't apply in your situation right because it certainly would i mean you're suffering and jesus is saying he he understands your suffering he knows that loss in fact he shared in that when he lost his friend lazarus even he also wept at the death of his of his friend even though that he knew that lazarus would be raised from the dead jesus shares in our suffering and our loss but he also calls us to this radical hope he calls us to not not remain only only thinking about what we've lost but to realize that god wants to heal us and fill us back up with his joy and his happiness Thank you, Judy, for the call. And Father, one of the things that I think jumps to my mind in thinking about Judy's situation and then your response to it is particularly that, that we do have a God who mourns. And would you say that, I want to get into what does it mean that we will be comforted when we mourn, especially when we mourn the things like our own sin, like you were saying in the in the uh, response to what does it mean, blessed are those who mourn. Does Jesus mourn with us? Is that one of the things that it means that we will be comforted? That's part of it, certainly. I mean, Jesus suffers with us, right? I mean, I, I really always go back to that that ultimate meaning of what does it mean that Jesus has compassion on us? Compassion means to suffer with. So Jesus suffers with us. He he's with us in our own uh, in our own difficulties, um, uh, and so part of comforting being comforted is to not necessarily take away the grief that we experience that will come in heaven right that will you and i were talking patrick at the top of the hour how 
uh, happiness. We can experience some of it here on earth, but it won't ever be complete until we get to heaven. Right. Well, I'm sure parents, for example, who have lost their children uh, will, will not go a single day without thinking of that loss, and they won't fully be com- uh, freed of the, of the pain and sorrow of that grief. But they will be comforted by the fact that Jesus is with them. They will be comforted by the hope that our Christian faith gives to them. And ultimately, they will be comforted eternally if they persist in God's will. Uh, They will be comforted eternally in heaven. Mm. Some great ways that God does comfort us. Any other thoughts on that specifically, Father? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How is the consolation of the Lord uh, given to us, transmitted, if you will, to us in times of mourning? I think it's such a such an important part of human experience, suffering and grief. And uh, we, we uh, unfortunately have come to sometimes convince ourselves that, well, if God, uh, that God should solve my grief and my problems, in a certain way. So he should take it all away, right? Uh, And it's just our human nature. We'd rather live without this suffering and grief. Um, That's not how God works. God is all-knowing. He's all-good. He's all-powerful. And he could, if he wanted, take away every emotion of suffering and sorrow from us. Uh, But instead, he wants us to, to share, maybe, in the sufferings of the cross. He wants that suffering to be used for our own growth in holiness. Um, he doesn't want us to to just go through pain and difficulty, and yet he doesn't also want us to to not grow to our fullest potential. And he sees that in order to become fully dependent on him, in order to become fully reliant and realize that we will always need him, he, he allows us to remain with grief and suffering, uh, and yet promises that there will be comfort there. So, yeah, I think it's... Uh, <laughs> to be Christian doesn't mean God takes away all of our problems. Uh, to be a great follower and disciple of Jesus doesn't mean that I won't experience mourning or grief or suffering. Actually, I would say quite the contrary. Sometimes the disciples of Jesus are those who suffer the most. Uh, but on the other hand, there is always great consolation there because we know that we're doing it with and for the Lord and and he can bring great good out of it. Yeah, he can and will. And there's just a tremendous hope to be given to. And that's a That's one of the ways that we are comforted, I'm sure, by the Lord. Well, our spiritual director today and tomorrow and Wednesday is Father Matthew Spencer as we're talking about the search for happiness blueprint from the Beatitudes. So glad that you've joined us for today's show. We've got six more to get through. But for now, we need to ask for your blessing, Father, as we close out this show. Heavenly Father, I ask you to look upon all of our listeners now. May they be poor in spirit and find great happiness in that, even receiving the kingdom of heaven. For those who mourn, Lord, may you comfort them abundantly. May they experience great happiness in your comfort. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Matthew Spencer with us today, tomorrow, and Wednesday as we continue the search for happiness, a blueprint from the Beatitudes. So grateful that you joined us. We've got next coming up the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass with Father Ed Looney as our celebrant tomorrow. Make sure and tell others to join us for Blessed are the Meek, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and Blessed are the Merciful. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Until then, grace and peace.